We're so thankful this morning to be together as God's people. And glorify His name. So if you're visiting with us this morning, thank you for being here. The question that you see on the screen is, what's your pleasure? And I suppose that could be uh, meant in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different contexts. Uh, You might, you know, think of some old Gunsmoke Western where they go into the saloon and, you know, the barkeep says, what's your pleasure? I know none of us have been in a saloon, I'm sure. (laughs) But what's your pleasure? What do we think of as being pleasurable? What makes something pleasurable to us? We'd like to talk this morning about pleasing God and about the pleasure involved in pleasing God and that when pleasing God is our pleasure and it's our chief and only pleasure, then in pleasing him we please ourselves. And life becomes so wonderful and so joyous. Some of the aspects that are involved in serving the Lord and serving him with joy and in a way that pleases him, some of those aspects are just so fundamental and simple that they escape our attention, quite frankly. And that we look at maybe all that he's asked us to do, and we look at it as this this mountain of things that must be accomplished. And if that's how we look at serving the Lord, our life will soon become a drudgery. But if we perceive it as a mountain of things that are pleasurable, then our life becomes nothing but joy. And it's all in the simple perception. As William James who observed that we can change our lives by changing our attitudes. And so this morning we're going to talk about our attitude toward our relationship with God. And all that he's asked us to do. And all that we must do and believe to please him. It's so pleasant when your young child, or in my case, grandchild, wants to please you when they make something for you, even if it's, you know, maybe not that great, or maybe it is that great, but they, they, your, your, your three, four-year-old grandchild, uh, you know, picks flowers for you, or does a painting for you, or makes a drawing for you, or, or maybe you're playing a game with them, and, and they get you to laughing about something that they've done, and so they keep on doing that over and over again, so you'll laugh. Because because they want to please you. They want to make you happy. That is such a wonderful experience. On the other hand, we've all had experiences with our children and grandchildren when they didn't want to please us. When they wanted to please themselves. And no matter what you said, they were going to do something that was not going to please you. And they did that thing. And then they weren't pleased. And you weren't pleased. And nobody was happy about anything. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. If we find our pleasure in his pleasure, life will be joyous. God wants us to be children who find our deepest pleasure in pleasing him. 
That is how his son lived and died, to please his father. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 8 and verse 29, that he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. God is always with the Son because the Son is always doing that which pleases the Father. The Father, in his turn, expresses his extreme pleasure in his Son. Notice at his baptism, the well-known text in Matthew chapter 3, in verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. Notice Jesus' response. This has always interested me. Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. John, what you and me need to do is what's right. It's fitting for us to do the right thing. God has asked you to be baptized, baptizing. And I'm coming to be baptized by his prophet, my forerunner. This is the right thing to do. He doesn't even address the, the, the question. And the truth is that, that, that Jesus was so much greater than John. John understood that. And John, in saying, I need to be baptized of you, he was probably saying something that had some merit to it. But Jesus' response, it's always right to do right. And then he's baptized by John. <clears throat> and when he'd been baptized, Jesus came immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to notice when God said this, Jesus had not fully begun his earthly ministry. He was about to begin it. But he had not done all of the teaching and the miracles, gone through all of the hardships that were involved in those three and a half or so years of working among men. And he certainly had not been through the tortures of the cross as of yet. But what mattered to God was that this was his son. You see, it's not always what you do that pleases the Father. It might be just that you're his child. And that's where it starts in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. They loved each other from all eternity. And from all eternity, I'm certain, God was well pleased with his son. God wants us to be like his only begotten son. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, Paul writes that whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God wants a lot of children in whom he's well pleased. This is his eternal intention for all of us, that we be like his only begotten son. So how can we do that? How can we please the father? Well, it just starts by just being a child of his. If you're not a child of his this morning, you're not pleasing to him. He's created you. 
to be a child of his like his only begotten son. And that happens through faith in him, through trust in him. In Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. If we're trying to please God, we can't do it without faith. He who comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. And then we find what faith accomplishes as it accesses God's grace and his intention toward us. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, we are all, as Paul writes to the Galatian Christians, he says, we are all sons of God through Faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you become a child of God. That's how you enter into a relationship with God where he can and will be pleased with you. We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Is baptism essential to pleasing God only if you want to be a child of God? And yes, you must be a child of God. So yes, because it is in faith that we are baptized. And enter into this relationship with God. We're his children. And he's pleased with that. As we grow in our relationship with him, we study his works. And we obey his commands. I'd like you to go in your Bibles back to the 111th Psalm. Uh, Really helpful to us along this line. The psalmist begins in Psalm 111, Praise the Lord, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. The work is honorable, his work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. God's people study his works. And not just the works of his creation. That's plenty to study in and of itself. To notice the heavens above us that declare his glory. And the firmament that shows his handiwork. To notice all of the created world around us. From the the beauty of a sunset to the beauty of a flower. To the marvel of watching a butterfly land on that flower. So many things in this world that are just beautiful that speak to us of this all-wise, wonderful creator, this God. And so the psalmist notice says, God's works are studied by all who have pleasure in them, in the works of God, because they're God's works. I'm interested in the things of God. it's, It's pleasurable for me to discover the things of God because he's my father. He's my God. That's a pleasurable thing. As you go on in this psalm, we won't read all of it, but go down to verse 7. You think about the works of God, and my point here is that it's not just his works in the physical creation, but the works of his hands are verity. That means truth. The works of his hands are truth and justice, and his precepts are sure. Precepts are his, his laws, his commands, his will. His precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So as we come to know God, we have pleasure in him. 
We have pleasure in his created works, but we also have pleasure in his word, in his righteousness, in his truth, which we live and keep because we have pleasure in him and that pleases him. That's his intention. So we study and we obey. And we don't become entangled in the things of this world. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Paul tells Timothy, you have to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, that doesn't sound pleasurable. Endure hardship, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But listen, he goes on to say, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Yeah, the the hardships are hard, but they're pleasant because they please the Lord. It's a straight and narrow path to be sure. It's a difficult way. And yet, as we walk it, we please the Lord. And so it becomes pleasurable for us and him. Long ago, Moses chose to take a difficult path rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. What seemed like momentary pleasure, Moses recognized would only be momentary. And it pleased him and it pleased God for him to follow God and to lead the people and to put up with all of the strife and the hardship that went along with it. But we know at the end that Moses chose the right path and the one that pleased both him and God. How can we please the Father? By doing good. By sharing with others. That's what the Hebrew writer says point blank in Hebrews 13 and verse 16. Do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And hasn't that been the case it's so difficult if you have one more, more than one child in the home. The deal of sharing is, is a problem, isn't it, <laughs> for, for little kids? Just the whole concept of it. This is mine, and it's not yours, and if, if you take it from me, I'm going to whine. And uh, one of my grandsons, I won't tell you which one, was expounding to me uh, just a couple of days ago an issue with a number of children in the place where he goes to school, uh, about sharing a ball that they were playing dodgeball with. It became quite the rumble, uh, I gather, uh, just about sharing the ball. That's a problem for kids. And when it's a problem for kids, then it's a problem for the parents, right? Nobody's happy when nobody shares. What does God want his children to do? Share. Just share. Share with each other. Don't regard it as yours. Don't hoard things. Don't be selfish. Share. Share what you have. Do good. Give your time, your energies for others. And God is so pleased with these sacrifices. Yes, they're they're sacrifices. What pleasure is there in sacrifice? It pleases God. That's the pleasure of a sacrifice. To do something, to give something, to share something. to sac- That's the pleasure. That's the pleasure. 
How can we please the Father? By praying the prayers of the righteous. Back again in the Psalms, in the fifth Psalm in verse 2. Give heed to the voice of my cry, the psalmist says as he prays to God. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. God has no pleasure in wickedness, and he has no pleasure in the prayers of the wicked. In fact, the scripture says they're an abomination to him. Those who turn away their ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayers of the righteous Please the Lord. He's attentive to them. He wants to answer them and fulfill them. It gives God great pleasure to give His children, His righteous children, the things they ask for. He's inclined to do it. He loves to do it. Let's be righteous people. Let's avail ourselves of His forgiveness, of the standard of His Word as we live our lives. Let's avail ourselves of those things and approach Him in the righteousness that we have because Christ has washed us from our sins in His blood. And in that way, our prayers are pleasing to God for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. We please the Father by allowing God to work in us and through us. By giving our lives to Him and just allowing Him to do with us whatever He wants to do. This is how we do the work of God. It's not of our own will or ambition or strength, but it's His ability to work in us and through us. In Hebrews 13, there the writer says in verse 20, May the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight. Listen to that phrasing. Working in you what is pleasing in his sight. He loves to work through you. He loves for you to allow him to do that. I have tools that I use that I must say aren't always cooperative with me. I, I, I despise using a, a grass trimmer. Uh, I did this yesterday. If you ever wonder why you go by my yard you know, during the summer, as probably many of you looked in my backyard in the, in the last few weeks and noticed, Steve really needs to trim around the edges of his yard because there's grass growing up by the fences and all that sort of thing. And yes, I know I need to do that. I hate it. I hate it. And, and here's why I hate it. I don't mind working. Those of you who know me, I don't mind working at all. I enjoy work. I like sweating. I like getting out there and doing all that kind of stuff. Every weed eater, as I used to call them, that I've ever had has this deal where the trimming line won't come out. Okay. Anybody who's used one of these knows exactly what I'm talking about. So you get trimming along. It's supposed to self-feed, and it doesn't self-feed. 
You have to stop, you have to unscrew the thing, you have to take the thing all apart, get the line back out, stick it through the holes, get it just right, screw the thing back on. And so then you trim for about three more minutes. And the same. So yesterday I wound, I, 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 I trimmed my grass. I had to do that like six times. Because my tool wasn't cooperating with me. I was trying to work with it. I'm sure it's the operator. But in God's case, it's not the operator. Cooperate with him as he works with you. As he uses you to accomplish his purposes. Be his tool. Be his instrument. He tells, Paul tells Timothy, you have to be clean to be his instrument. But be his instrument, be his tool. This is well pleasing to him. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. My beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, notice it, for his good pleasure. God loves that. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's made us what we are to do good. Well, that's how we can please God, at least some aspects of it. You want to know how to displease God and how to displease yourself? Those who live to please God don't live according to their fleshly desires. Because what they think would please them, giving in, satiating the desires of the flesh is not going to please them and it's not going to please God either. Satan wants you to think it will, but it won't. The carnal mind is enmity against God. That's hatred. That's hostility. Your carnal mind is hostility against God. You're living in rebellion. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're living in the flesh for the satisfaction of your flesh, for the satisfaction of earthly pleasures, if that's what your life is all about, or really any of it is about, you can't please God in that. Paul talks about how life was when he lives that way. Earlier, what leads up to what he says in Romans 8 is what he said in Romans 7. And he talks about the misery of that kind of life, the wretched man that I am, who will deliver me out of the body of this death? You've got to give up that carnal mind and walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. And God is so well pleased with that. Pleasing our fleshly selves ultimately pleases nobody but Satan. You won't be happy. God won't be happy. Satan will be happy. How many things are we doing, folks? Look at your life. How, many, how much of your life is really just about pleasing yourself? Pornography on the internet and on our cell phones. 
There's social media posts that are inappropriate or ugly. There's gossip that we love to share and hear. There are material things that we just literally would give anything for. We want to have fun doing this or that. That's what our life becomes. None of that pleases God. Pleasing our fleshly selves doesn't please Him. And we won't be pleased either. We won't be pleased at becoming spiritual zombies. You say, well, how, you know, you ever, I'm not much of a zombie movie watcher. I think I've told this story about uh, Sandy and I were at a hotel a few years ago and uh, somebody had given us a night stay up at uh, the Doubletree in Nashville, really nice hotel. And, and um, the only, I, I enjoyed the whole stay. We really had a good time, except for the part where there was a zombie convention at the convention center next door. And there were people walking through our hotel dressed up like zombies. Okay? I just want to tell you, zombies never look happy. They never look happy. She who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. What is she? Is she happy? No. She's a zombie. Got a lot of people walking around in this world. They're dead while they live because they're living in pleasure. It makes us into haters. I know haters got to hate, right? Well, people who live in their own pleasures are going to hate. Titus 3 and verse 3, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. That's the life of a person who lives in pleasure. And we live in conflict. When we want what we want, somebody else wants the same thing, there's going to be conflict. When we're living to please ourselves and not please the Lord or concerned about pleasing others. You know, Jesus Christ didn't please his own self, Paul says in Romans. But in James chapter 4 and verse 1, where do wars and fights come from? Where, where's all the fighting? Where's all the conflict coming from in our world today even? Don't, doesn't the conflict come from your desires for pleasure? that war in your members. You lust, you do not have. You murder, covet, cannot obtain. You fight, you war, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. We're just trying to please ourselves with material things and everybody else is trying to please themselves with material things and there's conflict. And ultimately, it all winds up in condemnation, eternal condemnation. Paul speaks of those in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12 that will be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness, pleasure in doing things that God did not want them to do. James describes them in James 5 and verse 5. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. The pleasure of pleasing God is what we 
want to focus our lives on. The concept that we must understand to, to please him, not only to please him, but to, but to live lives that are pleasing to ourselves. You want to make yourself happy. You want to make God happy. Please let this sink deep in your mind and heart this morning. That there is pleasure in pleasing God. And when that is your ultimate pleasure, that's the pleasure that you're living for above everything else. There is joy inexpressible. God supplies for you and for me a fountain of life and a river of pleasures. There's an amazing psalm, the 36th psalm, that describes this. Listen closely. Psalm 36. I'm just going to read about three or four verses here. Psalm 36 in verse 6. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Those who trust in God, it's a life of pleasure that he bestows. And he is so happy to see you live that righteous life. In his light, we see light. At one time, we were darkness, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. But now we are children of light. Walk as children of light. The fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's Ephesians 5, 8 through 10 in the ESV. In his light, we walk in light so that we can see what is pleasing to the Lord. And do that. And walk in that way. Every decision that you make as you walk in this life can be a choice that brings you closer and closer to eternal pleasure. Every choice that you have in front of you is a choice to pursue sin or pursue righteousness, a chance to please God and take another step to eternal pleasure itself. The 16th Psalm, you will show me the path of life, and your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. That's what it means to please God. To experience His pleasures in return for all eternity. Finally, brethren, and this is really the finally. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God. There's, there's, no, there's never going to be too much pleasing God. And you can't do that. And the more you please God, when you want to please God, when that's all of your pleasure, 
the more pleased you will be. Someone has said, when it pleases you to please the Lord, you may do as you please. So I beg you this morning to take a look at the very core attitude. What pleases you? And why does it please you? And choose to please the Lord this morning that you may experience his pleasure forever. Is there somebody who would please the Lord today who would become a child of his by faith in his son, by naming the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, turning away from sin and being baptized in water for the remission of sins? You can also be a son of God by faith in Christ today. And what a pleasurable, joyous, wonderful life it is. Make that step, make that commitment to please the Lord. Please come while we stand and while we sing.